1: Greetings and welcome to the Industrial Alliance Second Quarter Earnings Results Conference Call. During the presentation, all participants will be in the listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star 0. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded on Thursday, July 30th, 2020. I would now like to turn the conference over to Marie-Anne Bonneau, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to our second quarter conference call. All our Q2 documents, including press release, slides for this conference call, MD&A, and supplementary information package are posted in the Investor Relations section of our website at ia.ca. This conference call is open to the financial community, the media, and the public. I remind you that the question period is reserved for financial analysts. A recording of this call will be available for one week starting this evening. The archive webcast will be available for 90 days, and a transcript will be available on our website in the next week. I draw your attention to the forward-looking statements at the end of the slide package. A detailed discussion of the company's risk is provided in our 2019 MD&A available on SEDAR and on our website with an update in our Q1 2020 MD&A. I will now turn the call over to Denis Ricard, President and CEO.
3: Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this call today. I will first introduce everyone attending the call on behalf of IA. First, Jacques Podvin, Chief Actuary and CFO. Mike Stickney, Chief Growth Officer. Alain Bergeron, Chief Investment Officer. René Laflamme, in charge of individual insurance and annuities. Sean O'Brien, responsible of our mutual fund business and wealth management distribution affiliates. And we have two new season executives with us, François Blais in charge of our dealer services, special market solutions, and IE Auto & Home. François has been in the business for over 16 years. And finally, Éric Jabin, responsible for our group businesses. And Éric uh, has been uh, in the business for 29 years. This morning, we released our results for the second quarter of 2020, which was also the first full quarter since the COVID-19 pandemic began. From the very beginning of this pandemic, our priority has been the health and safety of our employees and advisors, as well as continuing to serve our clients well. The deployment of our business continuity plan has enabled our employees and advisors to pursue their activities, supported by safe and secure processes. They are thus able to provide clients with the service level similar to the level prior to the pandemic. In addition, during these difficult times, companies like ours have an important social role to play, and we have continued to provide relief for our customers and to support our communities in various manners. From the first weeks of the pandemic in March, we implemented a variety of relief measures for our clients, including deferral of payment to on-premiums, loans, and leases. In addition, during the lockdown, we granted rebates on premiums for an approximate amount of $20 million. Overall, more than 235,000 clients have taken advantage of our relief measures. Now, moving to the results. I'm quite pleased with the results that were reported this morning. Indeed, these results, which would have been good in normal times, are excellent in the current context. They are a clear demonstration of the strength and the resiliency of our business model. As shown on slide three, our reported EPS for the quarter was $1.71, and core EPS was $100, uh, sorry, $1.57. When compared to the second quarter of 2019, a quarter in which we achieved very good results, reported EPS is up 1% over year, year over year. In the current context, we have every reason to be satisfied. As for capital, we concluded the quarter with a solvency ratio of 124%, well above our target range and with a leverage ratio of 25.6%. Factors supporting our strong results include favorable policyholder experience and macroeconomic variations. It is also important to underline the quality of our investment portfolio and strategies. While market volatility continued to be high during the quarter, our hedging program performed well with no major loss. Also, in most lines of business, our sales were quite solid with results superior to Q2 2019. This shows the adaptability of our distribution networks as well as the high performance of the technological tools that we provide to support our sales force while working at a distance. And I, and I <clears throat> sorry. I now want to comment on the acquisition of IAS, which was concluded at the end of May. IAS is a strategic addition to IE Financial Group. For more than 20 years, IE has been active in the Canadian dealer services business, and we are now the leader in this market. In January 2018, with the acquisition of DAC, we decided to enter the American Vehicle Warranty Market. Our solid results with this division over the past two years demonstrate our capacity to grow rapidly in this market. But to achieve our ambition and meet our growth objectives, we needed to be a bigger player to have a more meaningful footprint. With the acquisition of IAS, one of the largest independent solution provider in the U.S. vehicle warranty market, we now have a leading presence which will serve our long-term growth strategy. In In the shorter term, in the context of the current pandemic, we had to review our projections and our integration plan. Although they operate in the same market, IAS revenue stream is complementary and not exactly the same as DAC. For example, as IAS is more present in the new car dealerships, its sales were more impacted by the pandemic than DAC. With that in mind, we decided to accelerate the integration. The pandemic also created opportunities in the sense that the widespread telework made us realize that there are more potential efficiency synergies on the corporate side than initially envisioned. So far, the integration is progressing well, and we are still confident that this acquisition will enable us to rapidly create value for our shareholders. In the short term, contribution to earnings will be lower than initially planned. Nevertheless, excluding acquisition and integration costs, IS should be accretive starting in 2020. More importantly, In the longer term, with this acquisition, we are now better positioned to pursue our growth in this fragmented market and to seize opportunities that are likely to occur in the aftermath of the current crisis. I will conclude my remarks by mentioning that although our second quarter results are strong, the pandemic is not over and a lot of uncertainty remains. In the coming months, our priority will continue to be the health and safety of our clients, employees, and distributors support our, for our communities, and preserving IE financial strength. We will continue to manage the company in a sound and prudent manner, with emphasis on the best interests of our clients and, and shareholders. I will now let Mike comment on business growth. Following Mike's remarks, Jacques will give us an update on the earnings and capital. On that note, I'll pass it over to Mike.
4: Thank you, Denny, and good afternoon, everyone. I will start my remarks with a few comments on the IAS acquisition. As mentioned by Denny, we were happy to conclude this acquisition in May. The integration process started very quickly following the closing of the acquisition, and some synergies are already materializing. For example, the proportion of IAS's business insured by DAC is increasing more quickly than expected. Integration will continue over the next quarters. One of our priorities will be to maximize both revenues and efficiency synergies, mainly with DAC and IS, but also with IA's corporate services. Now looking at the uh, second quarter sales results, please refer to slide five, which shows solid results for many of our business units. In individual insurance, our distribution networks are fully operational at a distance. From the beginning of the pandemic, we were confident that our technological tools would facilitate our advisors transition to remote distribution. This is now confirmed by our strong sales results during the second quarter. Indeed, individual insurance sales in Q2 totaled nearly $53 million, which constitutes a 10% year-over-year increase. With the addition in June of a part policy to widen our product offering, sales should remain strong in the coming quarters. For individual wealth management, starting with guaranteed products, sales continue to be excellent, totaling nearly $175 million. SEG fund sales were also impressive with gross sales of almost $600 million, up 10% year over year. Noteworthy in May, for the first time ever, the company ranked first in the industry in gross SEG fund sales. We we also remain number one in the Canadian industry with net sales totaling $417 million for the quarter. In in perspective, for both individual insurance and individual seg funds, we are of the view that our high performance digital platform has been a key factor in supporting our advisors in selling at a distance. Now moving to mutual funds, gross sales were up 4% year over year at more than $504 million. Net sales recorded inflows of nearly $50 million and were therefore positive for the first time since Q1 of 2018. This performance was supported by strong growth from our affiliate networks. Now looking at group businesses, in the employee plans division, clients adapted quickly to the new reality and sales totaled nearly $23 million, significantly up from $4 million the same quarter last year. In the dealer services division, total sales of 189.5 million were down 30% from 2019, as they were slowed by the temporary closure of car dealerships due to the pandemic. As for our sales in the special market solution division, they totaled 44.9 million, down from 61.1 million a year earlier. This decrease is largely explained by the drop in travel insurance sales. Lastly, in group savings and retirement, sales were up slightly from last year. In our U.S. operations, sales momentum remains strong in individual insurance as they increased by 33% year-over-year. In dealer services in the U.S., sales decreased by 7%, which is primarily due to the pandemic. Furthermore, IS sales in the first half of the year have been tracking reasonably close to U.S. retail car sales, which have slowed down because of the pandemic. Finally, in our PNC affiliate, IA Auto & Home, direct written premium continued their steady growth and increased by 11% year-over-year. Overall, these sales results pushed premiums and deposits to nearly $2.7 billion in the second quarter, which represents an increase of 5% year-over-year. Assets under management administration decreased by 2% year-over-year, primarily due to the decline in equity markets at the end of March and to the sale of IA Investment Council at the beginning of June. Now moving to slide six, you will find a revised assessment of our sales expectation for the remainder of 2020. You will notice that the outlook is generally better than our initial assessment in May. Indeed, for many business units, sales are expected to be normal or close to normal. This assessment is based on the current state of the pandemic and may vary depending on how the situation evolves. For businesses more directly impacted by the pandemic, like dealer services and special market solutions, we expect sales to return to the level seen in early 2020 as we emerge from the pandemic. To conclude, I want to underline that our strong sales in Q2, especially in the individual sectors, are the outcome of our successful distribution strategy. This shows that our distribution networks are valuable assets and that with the support of high performance IT tools, they are key to our success in this new reality. I will now turn it over to Jacques to comment on Q2 earnings.
5: Thank you, Mike, and good afternoon, everyone. We are very happy with our profitability and capital strength in the second quarter. Starting on slide 7, reported EPS was $1.71, which is higher than a year ago when earnings were especially strong. On a core basis, excluding mainly macroeconomic gains, EPS was also solid at $1.57. Year-to-date, core EPS is up 3% year-over-year. Now, looking to items of note on slide 8, policy experience was quite favorable in almost all our business units. It was particularly positive at IE Auto & Home and in our group businesses. Macroeconomic variations also had a positive net impact of $0.10 EPS on the result, despite a $0.07 EPS loss from our edging program. There was still high market volatility during the second quarter, and our edging program Perform well in protecting our balance sheet. The edging loss that was incurred is consistent with the volatility risk indicator that we provided in May. Strain produced a five cent EPS loss, which can be explained by the combination of the first quarter drop in interest rates and of a less favorable sales mix. In common capital also generated a 5 cent EPS loss, mainly due to a provision for default for a corporate bond in the aerospace sector. On the tax side, the 2019 true up was the main factor supporting the gain of 4 cents EPS. Finally, the gain from the sales of IE Investment Council was mostly offset by acquisition and integration costs for recent acquisitions, with a resulting two cents non-core EPS gain. Now looking at policyholder experience on slide nine, each business unit had experience close to or better than expectations. Starting with individual insurance, overall experience was as expected. Adverse mortality and morbidity experience was offset by favorable lapse experience and lower expenses. Individual wealth management reported a result close to expectations as lower income from our distribution affiliates was partly offset by favorable longevity in single premium annuities. Our group insurance sector record a gain of 5 cents EPS. This gain mainly comes from the dealer service division where experience was favorable as a result of lower PNC claims. Experience was in line with expectations in employee plans while it was slightly favorable in special market solutions. Group savings and retirement reported a gain of $0.03 EPS from several positive sources, such as favorable longevity, lower expenses, and higher income on assets under administration. U.S. operations reported experience slightly above expectations, more specifically in the Individual Insurance Division, Experience was generally as expected, as favorable lapse experience was offset by negative mortality. As for the dealer service division, lower expenses result in a small gain. Finally, experience at IA auto and home was once again much better than expected with a gain of $0.07 EPS due mainly to lower claims. It is noteworthy that positive experience generated by lower claims due to the pandemic was completely offset by significant premium refunds paid to clients. Therefore, we consider the next experience gained at IA Auto and Home to be unrelated to the pandemic. Please refer to slide 11 for our capital position. Following the acquisition of IAS, our solvency ratio continues to stand strong and well above our target range of 110 to 116 percent. As of June 30, 2020, our solvency ratio was 124 uh, percent. In addition to macroeconomic variations and the sale of IE Investment Council, Organic capital generation of about $70 million explained the increase in our solvency ratio during Q2. With this robust solvency ratio at, of 124%, combined with a leverage ratio of 25.6%, and with our high-quality investment portfolio, the company continues to be in a strong financial position. During the second quarter, the impact of the pandemic was generally less severe than our initial assessment. As for the rest of the year, it will, of course, depend on how the situation evolves. Based on the current state of the pandemic, slide 13 presents how we now expect COVID-19 to impact earnings for the remainder of 2020. During the first half of the year, due to the lower interest rates, strain had a negative impact on our earnings. Following management actions, namely repricing of certain products, strain should improve in the coming quarters. As for experience, pandemic impacts are lower than initially anticipated. More importantly, we expect COVID-19-related losses to be non-recurrent once the pandemic is over. Overall, we now believe that our 2020 results could be better than we anticipated when we disclosed our first quarter results. This assessment obviously depends on how things will evolve and on whether or not there will be a second wave. I will conclude by saying that the Q2 results clearly show that IAE is strong and resilient and that our earning power remains significant even in a difficult environment. Operator, we will now take questions.
1: Thank you. If you are an analyst and would like to register a question, please press the one followed by the four on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the 1 followed by the 3. One moment, please, for the first question. Our first question comes from Steve Perriot with 8 Capital. Please proceed. Uh,
6: thanks very much. If I could start with a question on IAS, uh, I hear you saying today that it'll, we'll see positive accretion in 20 and 21, but looking out a little bit further, you're suggesting that the outlooks unchanged. And it, when I look back into my notes, I see about 40 cents of accretion in 2022 and greater than 50 cents in 2023. Can we still can we still assume that uh, that's reasonable guidance as we look out a couple of years?
3: uh yeah uh, sorry yeah it's denny here um listen uh with the covid right now uh our time I, you know the um the time that we're looking at is not as far as that so we concentrated let's say on the this year and next year to see to, to what extent our projections or um you know the revised projection were in line in, in the original ones and uh, that's why we came up with the, with this kind of revision this time. Now, we haven't gone, let's say, uh, further than that. I mean, we don't see actually at this point why we would not, uh, you know, post-COVID be able to generate that kind of uh, creativeness. So, uh, I mean, the um, the uh, I would say the reasons why we were, uh, you know, having those uh, results in 2022 and on, um, they're still there. For example, this is a market where it's quite um, – Uh, fragmented we know that we're going to you know at some point consolidate the market Uh, so uh, we believe that it's still possible to get there
6: and and you talked about accelerating the integration are as a result are integration costs going to be any higher either as a result of that acceleration or or just due to the pandemic generally
5: Uh, Jacques speaking, Uh, they could be slightly higher because we've decided to integrate, uh, we say, on the corporate side, uh, more systems. But at the end of the day, the benefit will be higher as well.
6: Okay. And then the the other thing for me was just on the impaired investments. And probably for you again, Jacques, um, how how much of the rise in the the gross impaired investments was due to uh, the aerospace bond you made mention of in your release, and I guess broadly, um, can you provide any kind of outlook around uh, around credit impairments looking out
7: over the over the near
6: term? Uh,
3: yeah, I think I'm going to ask Alain to answer that one.
7: Sure. In terms of the first question, which is
5: the which was about how much was related to the aerospace sector, it's actually uh, it's all related to that. All right. Uh, in terms of uh, future potential impairment, I mean the the um, what you have now is our best estimate of of
7: what we see. Uh, but of course, uh, we recognize that the economy is in a fluid situation. We have a fourteen billion dollar of corporate bond portfolio. Uh, on the other hand, it's important to
5: recognize that this is a fairly uh, high quality. Uh, portfolio
7: in terms of its corporate assets. So, uh, I think this
3: is a this is our best guess at this stage.
1: Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from um, Manny Grauman with Scotia Bank. Please proceed.
8: Hi, good afternoon. Um, first question, just on the organic uh, capital generation, uh, seventy million. So. Effectively double what we saw in, in Q1. I'm wondering how sustainable that is. I know you talk, you mentioned uh, that it's sensitive to second wave, but assuming that uh, that we don't get that, uh, is that sort of a, a sustainable um, quarterly rate in your view?
5: So speaking, I would say uh, so far so good. When I look uh, forward. Of course, with COVID, we never know what may happen with the second wave. But uh, when I look at the different uh, lines of business, all the experience, uh, there's been some pluses, some minuses. But overall, it's uh, better than what we anticipated at the beginning. And I would say the market is adjusting uh, Um, And um, if I take, for example, let's say in group insurance for LTD, we were expecting much worse experience than that, and we know that now even if people are working from home, we know that uh, the different professionals are able to return people disabled to work, which is great. Uh, So uh, I'm expecting, actually, that it will continue according to what we we showed on the slide. So uh, this is our best view uh, as of today.
8: Thanks for that. And, and then just um, going back to IAS, um, you know, I would have thought my my understanding was that auto sales on both sides of the border are recovering faster than what anyone expected. So uh, in terms of your commentary, I'm just wondering what what you're seeing that is that is different from from what we knew in Q1. I'm wondering, uh, is it related to the uptick in, in COVID in the U.S.? Are you seeing an impact of that in particular?
3: Well, obviously, we follow very carefully the car sales uh, on both sides of the border, and uh, I'm sure, Mike, that you uh, you have a lot of information on that question.
4: Sure, um, it's yeah, and things are a little different between the two countries. I'll talk about the U.S. obviously because I.S. is kind of central. Um, there's been a nice recovery from April and May. I mean, there was sales were off quite a bit—you uh, know, forty, fifty, sixty percent through. Uh, April and May, um, and so they're coming back. But for the year, we're kind of taking a longer-term view here and, and expect that overall retail car sales will be off 10 to 15% for the year. And our, when I look at our revenues on, on that business, we're sort of lining up very well with, with those kind of numbers. Uh, so that's our expectation for the year, and obviously that creates some headwinds on, uh, on uh, profits for the year too.
8: And do you expect, um, you know, given that the business makes difference between DAC and IAS, do you expect DAC to actually perform better than IAS through this uh, um, That's
4: what we're seeing uh, through the first half. Um, DAC uh, has um, DAC has a higher percentage of used car sales, and they've been less effective if you follow the data in any kind of detail. The used car sales have been holding up better. So we're, we've got that trend working for us as well.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Gabriel Deschamps with National Bank Financial. Please proceed.
9: Uh, good morning. Uh, I, just to follow up on this IES stuff, uh, I think uh, 2021, excluding uh, integration costs, was looking like uh, 27 cents of accretion. You're saying it's lower now? Uh, can you quantify how much lower?
5: Gabriel Jacques speaking. Uh, I will uh, say something it would be probably between five and ten cent lower than that twenty seven cent that that will be our guess today
9: okay and and you know, it sounds like the you know lower sales volumes are the primary driver and i get that um does there any is, are, are there any implications of uh, of this uh you know, accretion change uh, on the goodwill. Um, we've seen goodwill write-downs in the past, also reflective of sales volume uh, trends. And just wondering how how that looks for you guys.
5: Okay, Jacques, speaking again uh, about goodwill, uh, we had to do an impairment test at uh, the initial purchase price, uh, price allocation, and there's none to be had at all. No uh, impairment. Um, sign here at all. And for the foreseeable future, there's none that we see as well because of what Denis mentioned in his allocution that we've already, we will push harder for synergies to compensate okay. for that short term, uh, I would say short term, uh, lower profit. And it, it's, we mentioned it at the acquisition. It's a growth story and Denis mentioned it earlier, uh, in an answer as well. We, we will, uh, be, We have the financial strength to go through that crisis, and uh, there is a lot uh, of mom and pops in that fragmented market. And we we really believe we will thrive post-COVID in that market.
3: Yeah, in in a nutshell, it's the um, you know, with the proper initiatives that uh, we are contemplating right now, we believe that you know, over a very short period of time, we uh, the economic value that we uh, measured on that on that business will be maintained.
9: All right. Uh, moving on to the, uh, uh, I guess, the uh, actuarial side of things. Uh, you, on slide 13, you talk about all the uh, elements of the business that are going you know, better or worse than you expected at the start of the year. And then in the non-core category, you talk about a potential URR charge at the end of the year. Uh, not surprising given the moving rate, but uh, just trying to quantify that the 10 or 15 or 20 basis point change that, that you have in mind now. Uh, and then, not related to rates but mortality. I believe two quarters in a row now that we have uh, negative mortality experience in individual insurance. Maybe there are different factors behind each each outcome. Uh, but is that a potential, uh, you know, a source of a, of a of an actuarial review or focus?
5: Okay, Jacques, again, you will guess being the appointed actuary. Uh, mm-hmm. About you, are... Uh, about URR, uh, I would say that uh, this quarter, there, there, there's continue to be discussion at the Canadian Institute of Actuary, and uh, I will get more information later this year, but it seems that it's, it's a higher possibility, probability that there will be uh, something in coming in 2021. And we okay. have the tra- the tradition to do something ahead of time, so I will certainly do something uh at year end uh, when I will get more uh, comfort that it's coming uh, and about that there, I have no issue whatsoever because Alain's team has been great at doing management pr- uh, action, and I have plenty of management action to uh, be able to compensate for that uh, as for mortality uh when I look at the mortality right now, you know, uh, for sure, it's really too early to tell because, uh, we would complete our experience today. And because of COVID, I would try to complete my experience today, uh, uh, sooner than, uh, Q4. to try, uh, have a, a great idea in, in Q3, uh, where, how it's going there. But when I, I look at the experience of Q2, uh, most of the experience, uh, negative experience in mortality is due to COVID. So, uh, almost all of it is coming from COVID claim. So, uh, and in the U.S., we know that it's coming for, for COVID as well. So, and and uh, it's important to, to mention that in the review of assumption, we need to factor that there what's permanent, not what's temporary. So uh, we're working on that, uh, and I will be
9: able to give you more flavor in Q3. Okay, and, and thank you for that. And my last one, Denis and Jacques, you both sound more upbeat about the the earnings outlook uh, this year, and you've itemized all the items there. Uh, does that commentary apply to internal capital generation as well? Because uh, Q1 we had 35 million this quarter, 70, which is more on track with what you know you targeted in normal times. So are are we looking at this quarter as more representative?
5: Uh, for sure, and if if you recall well, Q one the edging program. We had we right. suffer a very big loss, and it eat, it eat the profit that we usually get. So yeah, you're totally right, Gabriel. We're in the ballpark right now, in Q2. Thank you.
9: I'll leave it there.
1: Our next question comes from Doug Young with Desjardins Capital Markets. Please proceed.
10: good afternoon just wanted to see going back to the credit impact the four cents and i don't know if this is for lana or for jacques was that related to an increase in the asset default provision or or was that an impairment or can can you describe that because i did see your asset default provision did increase almost 43 million sequentially um and i'm just wondering about 43 million how much related to bond downgrades and and was that four cents embedded in that
5: uh, Doug, Jacques speaking. I, I don't know the 43000000 million you're referring to, but it's an impairment provision we, we took for a specific private pla- placement, private debt that we have in a company that is working. Yeah. Actually, the business model of that uh, company is uh, re- renting uh airplane to uh, airlines. So that's what we did.
10: So that's an impairment provision. That's not necessarily related to a downgrade of, of a fixed income investment. Exactly, like yeah. It. Exactly. And then if you look in the ruling nine, it's on page 17 at the very bottom. You talk about the provisions for potential losses in fixed income securities contained in the in the actual policy liabilities. And if you look sequentially, it increased $43 million. And so what my question is, you know, I get the $0.04 cents and that's related to impairment. Was there other impacts on your results that you didn't break out necessarily that were a result of negative credit migration, so, so bond downgrades?
5: Okay. Okay, now now I know the number you're speaking about. So uh, when we have a default, the default will affect the loss. There will be a loss in our gain and loss analysis, so you will see it. As for downgrade, uh, those ones... Um, they will be dealt with with my business change at the end of the year. And the way we're working, we, we've done that for many years. Uh, we have management actions that, that are uh, positive items, that are pluses, and they are uh, movement of interest rates, could be movement of IRR, of URR. Now IRR no longer matter because we, are, we have the risk that, that one. But that could be downgrade as well. And the important thing every quarter when I table my reserve, when I calculate my reserve, I make sure that I have, I'm positive on that uh, account, and which, which I am uh, at the end of Q2, I was also at the end of Q1. So uh, that's the way we, uh, we uh, it affects our result.
3: So, in, in a nutshell, um, provided that you have enough uh, management action, Uh, downgrades don't affect, doesn't affect our results.
10: So it doesn't affect, so this is part of your year year end, and so when you look at the downgrades that have occurred so far and then you look at all the moving pieces, you're not necessarily concerned that there's going to be a bigger credit hit as a result of those downgrades. Is that a fair way to kind of think of it? Uh,
5: Actually, the one that we know today, I have enough, Management action to cover them, and I have even enough management action to cover downgrades coming down the road in Q3 and Q4. But uh, when I say that, just we, we need to be cautious here. If a second wave, uh, wave hits at one point in time, I cannot guess, I don't know what would be. But like Alain mentioned earlier, we have a defensive portfolio, and we're, we're quite pleased with the quality of our uh, portfolio. So when I look at that, I'm I would say uh, I'm very
10: fine with my reserve. Okay, and tying that back to slide 13, um, and I read that, you know, the non and I read the reserve section of that, the IRR, URR, and you really haven't identified anything of materiality that really would have a huge impact on your year-end reserves. So, based on what you see today, like, is it fair to just assume when I read that that you don't anticipate that there's going to be any huge impact or big impact, negative or positive, from your year end actual reserve. Yeah, you know, with the caveat being that you were in a fluid situation um, and, you know, there has been, you know, you're still looking at the mortality side. But is that a fair thing to think about where you stand today as you look forward? You don't anticipate any big year end impact?
5: It's a fair statement knowing that it's fluid.
10: Okay. And then just lastly, expected profit was down. Um, you kind of identified the IES acquisition as being one impact, uh, and then the market uh, movements as being the other impact. And you, you, you described you know what the IES impact was. But if you were to back out those two items, you know, would expected profit have been up year over year? Uh,
5: yeah, actually, uh, yes. If we look at that, the expected profit uh, overall, the two items you just mentioned. They uh, cost 10% on the growth of EPS, and there are other factors as well, and uh, one factor was mentioned when we tabled our guidance uh, in February. It's related to the fact that uh, we mentioned that we are investing in technology, and I would say that the good sales result we had in Q2 are already due to, the, 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 I would say, investment in those good te- technologies to support the distribution. Um, there were some expenses as well. We mentioned uh, s- uh, cybersecurity as one place we have uh, we are spending more to protect the company, as well as IFRS 17, that was, that was another project on which we are spending more this year. It would be the same next year compared to the previous year. Another element also explaining uh, the uh, lower growth on expected profit on Enforce is PPI. If you recall well, uh, in Q3 last year, there was a a good uh, write-down. It was related to the fact that we were expecting less revenue, and this one was a 1% impact on the, the growth of expected profit on Enforce. Okay.
10: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: Our next question comes from Scott Chan with Canaccord Genuity. Please proceed.
11: Uh, thanks. Good afternoon. Um, just on your investment portfolio uh, and, I guess, management's decision to um, exit residential mortgages and, and focus on uh, the multi-residential and non-residential markets, what um, what were the factors coming up to that decision? Is it, was it more risk, um, more yield, or, or, or is there anything else there?
3: Yeah, um, you know the the line was not very clear. So hopefully, I, I get I got your question right. I think your question, uh, think is, your about question the, is about the uh, your question is about the resonant, residential mortgage uh, exit that that we made. That's
11: right. Yeah.
3: Okay. Good. Um, listen, um, this this business uh, when we've, we've we've been in the business of residential mortgage for a long long time, because at first it's it, it fit some of the the needs we had in in our balance sheet to back some of the liabilities that we had. And over the years, basically, um, we came up with the conclusion that there were other assets that that would be uh, better to match those liabilities. So um, that business in itself was kind of orphaned. There was no strategic um, link to any other businesses in our portfolio. Um, We needed to invest in technology, to bring that up to a higher level, and it's a business, as you know, that uh, we're, competing, uh, we're competing against, uh, like the banks and uh, credit unions. So uh, it was you know, pretty uh, easy for us to uh, when we looked at our strategic initiative that they did not fit uh, where we wanted to go. So uh, it, it has nothing to do with, let's say, uh, capital or things like that. It's more like it's no strategic fit, and it was not very big, so it doesn't have that much impact overall.
11: Is it is it seven percent of your portfolio? Is that is that what I get from last quarter, or, or am I looking at that long?
3: I just don't understand your question. Sorry, I don't hear it.
11: Oh, you you said the um, the exposure is not that big. Is it was it seven percent? Um, is it was it seven percent of your portfolio?
3: Uh, well in fact uh, it, it it was a bit a mix of uh, a lot of the business some of the businesses that we had um, we we were di- i mean we we, we were directly um, getting the profit out of that business other businesses were only the administrators so uh, for my recollection it's you know i think it's a bit more than a billion dollar of um, business that that was really on our book that we had the Profit uh, from let's say net interest margin. Um, the rest was just a business that uh, we administered for a third party. So um, nothing really big.
11: Okay, I got it. And um, and just on the mutual fund side, um, you know, nice nice quarter. Um, and you talked about the affiliates benefiting it. Is there an update on uh, you know kind of that target to convert AUA to AUM? Um, you know, I'm assuming that was the biggest benefit that helped this quarter. Uh, and maybe the industry a little bit as well.
3: Yeah, maybe Sean, you want to comment on the uh, success we have with affiliates?
7: Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was just thanks to me.
3: Yeah, so the uh, the affiliate channel has really
7: proven to be kind of a positive buffer. I think during tough times, their support's really uh, I think, came through with the, with the positive net sales uh, um, in the past quarter. And and the outlook is, uh, you know, probably continue to be positive uh, going forward. So it's a
9: it's a it's a
1: good trend from the affiliate group.
11: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: Our next question comes from Paul Holden with CIBC World Markets. Please proceed.
7: Thanks. Good afternoon. Um, so, two questions to start um, related to capital. Want to get um, a picture on to what extent organic capital generation? might change with the IAS transaction, understand profitability might be lower than you originally assumed, but obviously it's still gonna spit off capital. So I wanna get a little bit of a better picture there. And then um, two, now that you've already kind of rebuilt a bit more of a capital buffer, how are you thinking about that with respect to um, capital intentions in the, let's call it over the next 12 months?
5: Okay, Jacques speaking, I will answer to the first part, and Denis will uh, answer the second question, Paul. Uh, so uh, you're totally right that uh, with the, with IES, we expect uh, more profit, and that profit will flow directly as organic capital, so we'll help to build uh, capital even more uh, faster than before. So uh, you're totally right on that. Uh,
3: regarding capital, Paul, um, interesting question. Uh, Obviously, with uh, the IES acquisition, and you've heard uh, a lot about uh, integration, uh, our focus um, right now is really on the integration, not only the business people uh, in the U.S., but also the uh, Canadian people here that have support functions and where we see some uh, good synergies between uh, Canada and the U.S., so our focus is there right now. Um, you should not expect, let's say, um, significant acquisitions in the uh, short term. Um, it's not. I mean, when I look at the um, uh, where the capital will go uh, over the next uh, 12 to 24 months, uh, certainly uh, building up capital is uh, cert- certainly the um, uh, the priority uh, right now. Even though we are very comfortable where where we are. Um, there's not much I think we, we, we want to do in the short term in terms of uh, uh, deploying it for acquisition. And once that we get comfortable um, enough with uh, the integration, you know, how it how it goes and the results that we get out of it, then uh, obviously the second phase uh, will start and will be a bit more active on the acquisition side.
7: Okay. Uh, final question for me is with respect to the individual insurance sales in Canada. I think a su- surprisingly good quarter, at least from my perspective, I'm surprised to see a positive number there. Maybe flesh out a little bit more what you would attribute that to. Is that is that um, strong digital channels or were there traditional channels? Um, did, they, did those hold up better than expected? And the second part of the question, you introduced a par product that came Late in the quarter, so maybe kind of a perspective on how much you might that might be able to influence sales growth um, in coming quarters.
0: So yes, that, that's uh, it
3: for you, Anita?
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, we're very pleased with, uh, with the results as well. Um, of course, um, we had a good month of June, we had a good quarter. Uh, I would say two things we had a few uh, larger cases than usual, and we also um, I strongly believe that our technology has made the difference. Um, we were up and running for uh, selling at distance very quickly in all our distribution channel. so that's good. Uh, you will recall as well that we uh, have launched in February a uh, University Life YRT product, which has had great success. uh, As you mentioned, we uh, launched our PAR product in mid-June, so we don't see the effects of the PAR product right now in our uh, Q2 results. However, I can say that uh, we're pleased with the reaction of the marketplace. Uh, There's been good adoption by all distribution networks. It's a little bit too early to comment on uh, trend and volume expectation, but uh, we're we're happy with uh, the launch of the PAR.
3: Maybe yeah, just want to add something I mean um IE has always been recognized as a provider or an insurer of um you know, covering the um you know the family market, the mass market, um, although we are still present, we are we are present in, in in higher amounts as well. But I mean for the most part uh, we are very present on the family market and the mass market or the mid market, whatever you want to call it. Um and so in a situation as we are right now, um, you know, combined with the technology that uh, René was mentioning, um, obviously it created a kind of an advantage for our business model. When we see that our business model is resilient, it's the combination of the fact that we are present all distribution, we have the right technology, and also we target the right market.
7: Great. Thank you.
1: Our next question comes from Tom McKinnon with BMO Capital Markets. Please proceed.
12: Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, Good afternoon. Um, uh, First question, just with with respect to the uh, um, – I think you mentioned you got lower uh, revenue from TPI in terms of lower commissions, and I think you also said you had uh, um, lower um, distribution income from affiliates as well in the individual wealth sections. Now, that doesn't seem to be consistent with a company that, uh, uh, as well in the press release notes, uh, better than expected sales in individual insurance and some pretty good growth in terms of even gross sales if you look in uh, in the individual wealth. So um, can you explain why you had pretty good sales, but you're not collecting, uh, um, you're not getting very much, you're getting lower than expected revenue from these uh, distribution uh, arrangements that you have? And I have a follow-up.
5: Okay. On that one, Tom, uh, Jacques speaking, I would say that when we make those comments in regard of the revenue of those distributors, not the revenue of the manufacturer. And uh, we always compare ourselves with uh, an amount considering growth. If we take, for example, the affiliate, when we table the guidance, for sure we wanted to grow that business. And with the COVID-19, it's tough to recruit new uh, people. That is part of our strategy. Uh, as for PPI, uh, I would say the result they are lower than what we expected at the beginning of the year. But it's related to commission and the fact, if you recall well in Q1, uh, sales were quite done, and PPI, part of their business, are in big cases, and it was impossible to close those big cases because the uh, paramedical firm was closed, and we were not able to get the uh, underwriting information to close those.
12: Okay, so it sounds like you your sales were good, but uh, the these other companies didn't have as good a sale, so that's why it hurt. Uh, um, that's why your revenue is lower than anticipated from these affiliated companies. Is that the correct way of looking at it? Yep. Okay. Uh, second is really on IAS, and Renee, you may have mentioned this, but uh, you look at the U.S. dealers, uh, sales are down 7%. Uh, if I look in Canadian, in which you've gotten dealer services, you actually had lower claims associated with. Uh, uh, the COVID environment, yet you're saying uh, now that, uh, um, uh, you know, the second half of 2020 and into 2021, you're going to have uh, uh, lower than expected uh, earnings uh, accretion as a result of IAS. Uh, you know, with with dealer services sales really not that off, really not off that much, a pretty good used car market and uh, plane thrower. What what is it that you're seeing that's driving down? your expectations with this uh i believe um you had mentioned uh probably about maybe two months ago that you expected 2021 to be generally in line with your original guidance so maybe what has changed just in the last couple of months with respect to your thoughts on ias
3: yeah well a a lot of change especially in the u.s and i I think i will let somebody who lives in the u.s comment on that on that one because there's a lot that has changed uh, since the last time we made some kind of uh, guidance on uh, on that business. Uh,
4: okay, uh, yeah, thanks, Danny. Um, yeah, the uh, you know the benefit of hindsight, we we're probably a little too optimistic around the end of May about the auto environment in the U.S. Uh, the trend in the U.S. on COVID was you know f- fairly positive up to uh, near the end of May, and obviously things have deteriorated a lot uh, as uh, uh, things opened up, especially in the southern states, which we have a fair amount of business there. Um, and then secondly, going on to your sort of question about comparing, you know, we've gotten uh, pretty good profit with, with weaker sales in Canada. In the U.S., it works differently. A lot of the business is reinsured to the dealers. The dealers have their own reinsurance company, so we we have a higher percentage, essentially, what is fee income, and it's just very dependent on, um, on uh, you know, car sales and and the fee fee uh, the fee income. So uh, we don't get the recovery on, let's say, lower warranty claims that sort of thing that we're seeing in Canada.
12: Okay, thanks. And then finally, uh, just with respect to the URR, I think Jacques, you said. Uh, there's been some sort of discussions with uh, the uh, the Canadian Institute of Actuaries, and that seems like a possibility of maybe something coming down the pipe in 2021. Um, your comments about perhaps moving at the end of 2020, is that just a... Uh, um, I know you've moved ahead of uh, the industry in the past. Is that just what you're... Uh, you would do that just because uh, you have the capability and you want to try to stay ahead of the curve with respect to that? But uh, And how much do you think that uh, potential... Um, that your move could be uh ten fifteen points or that you're going to be making
5: uh, yeah actually it's our tradition to uh have uh, a strong balance sheet and be well positioned uh with a conservative reserve so i will uh, i really uh continue that tradition in regard of the metric it's it's tough today to say, but I will expect something between ten and twenty. Uh
8: beeps.
12: And, and I have
5: a, like I said earlier, I have uh, I have the management action to be able to cover it.
12: Okay, so that's the move that you're thinking of that you might make, ten to twenty beeps um in by the end of twenty twenty?
5: without any yeah.
12: from CIA, correct? Um uh, Exactly that's
5: yeah, actually, I will have more information in Q4 than right now. So what, I'm, what I mentioned earlier is that uh, when I listen to the different discussion about that, I think the probability is higher than when I when we I spoke in, uh, at the conference conference call in Q1. So uh, I think the possibility is higher probability is higher today that it was before, and I think that the the metrics are around those number. And I have the management and action to do, to be able to cover it. So that's really where I'm sitting right now. But uh, I would decide okay. that in Q4. And
12: that's more of your decision uh, as it stands right now. You see the CIA perhaps doing uh, something coming more in 2021.
5: Yeah, actually Tom on that one, uh last time the CIA moved, uh it was supposed to be the last move because of IFRS seventeen that was coming down the pipe. Okay. So that was what behind uh the fact that we thought that we will be done with the change in URR, but the fact that IFRS seventeen has been delayed by another year, it just opened a window and CI the CIA is thinking about that today, the fact that we have another year to do with that the current accounting regime. So, that's why uh, we're, and interest rates are low. So, that's uh, that's the situation we're in.
12: Yeah. As I understood it, they weren't going to do something. IFRS 17 was 2022 and they weren't going to do anything until then. It's been pushed out to 2023. So, as you mentioned, there's perhaps a window to do uh, one intermittent move before moving to IFRS 17. Would I, do you think I have that right? Exactly, yeah. Okay, thanks for your time.
1: Mr. Ricard, there are no further questions at this time. Please continue with your presentation or closing remarks.
3: Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I would be brief here. Listen, um, COVID has hit. People were scared, and um, you know, people were very prudent in terms of business, of their business. Um, I think right now we realize that uh, we are very strong. Capital is strong. Generation of capital—that's the first thing. Uh, Second is the resilience of our business growth model, uh, driven by technology and distribution. And finally, uh, we're committed to growth uh, long term, and IAS really uh, fit that, that that purpose. So we're very, very uh, optimistic that, you know, um, the IAS will be a platform for us to group. So with that said, thanks a lot. Have a great day.
1: That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line. Have a great day, everyone.